Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. Pushkin. Hello, hello, everyone. Malcolm Gladwell here popping into this feed to tell you about a new project from Pushkin Industries. It's called Miracle and Wonder, Conversations with Paul Simon. Simon and Garfunkel's songs were the first music I can remember hearing as a child. And this past year, I had the privilege, over the course of 30 hours of interviews in various locations, to sit down with Paul Simon and my co-author, Bruce Hedlum. We talked about the sources of Paul's creativity and his ongoing quest for musical experimentation and collaboration. Graceland is a prime example of that quest. You're about to hear a chapter from the book entitled Getting to Graceland, in which he discusses his controversial journey to South Africa to work with musical legends such as Hugh Masekela and Ladysmith Blackman Bazo. South Africa in the 1980s was like the United States in the Jim Crow era of the 1950s. Black people could not live where they wanted, vote, or hold any positions of responsibility. And in the midst of that, Paul Simon went to South Africa to create Graceland, a monumental moment for many listeners and one of the first examples we have of world music. This exuberant collaboration put a whole generation of South African musicians on the world stage. So let's listen to that story. And if you want to hear more, go to miracleaudiobook.com. Enter your email and payment information. You'll then receive an email with easy instructions to add Miracle and Wonder to the podcast app you're listening in right now. And now, here's a taste of Miracle and Wonder, getting to Graceland. I got this call as I was working as a mechanic. My boss says, Paul Simon is looking for you in town. This is the South African bassist Bagidi Kamalo, whose bass lines entranced Graceland listeners, and who remains a part of Simon's live band. And I'm like, who's Paul Simon? And I was so scared because 
you know, once I hear the English name, it's either it's something that has to do with jail. Maybe somebody said I did something I didn't know. And then I was dropping things. I was shaking. It says, relax, man, relax. Paul Simon is a, a musician. And then he starts singing the songs, you know, in Sounds of Silence. Oh, you don't know Sounds of Silence. He sings other songs, me and Julio. I didn't get it until the mother and child reunion. And I'm like, Paul Simon from Jamaica. And then he says, yes, from Jamaica, maybe Jamaica, Queens in New York. <laughs> I was like, oh, holy moly. He says, they're looking for you in the studio to record. Chapter 8, Getting to Graceland. South Africa is today one of the most prosperous democracies in Africa. It was a very different place in the mid-1980s. For generations, the country had been ruled by its white minority under a policy known as apartheid. The policy of apartheid, literally separateness, has been elevated by the government of South Africa from a mere theory of racial superiority to the law of the land. Black people couldn't vote, couldn't move where they wanted, couldn't hold any positions of responsibility. In the township, it was like being in prison. Every township is fenced, and every corner of the township, there's a police station. You know, I mean, it was, it was brutal. People, they feel like there's no hope. There's no hope. This is the life you're going to live until you die. The political party that represented most black South Africans, the African National Congress, was illegal. We need Nelson Mandela. That is our leader. Release our Nelson Mandela, the Martin Luther King of South Africa and the first president of the modern South African state, locked away behind bars for 27 years. South Africa in the 1980s was like the American Jim Crow South in the 1950s, only without the elaborate pretense that they were actually a free and functioning democracy. It was a pariah state. The South African embassy in Washington now hears daily chants protesting its policy of racial segregation. The circle of black professional musicians in South Africa was small, virtually unknown outside of their own country. Begidi was living in a township outside Johannesburg in a four-bedroom house with 17 other people. After dinner time, people slip on top of the table, under the table. Every part of the room was, was crowded. And then, of course, we didn't have electricity on top of it. So somebody's going to wake up at 5 o'clock and make the fire, you know, on the stove cooking and uh, carbon monoxide and everything. I mean, just insane. He had a band, got work where he could. They played their versions of American funk, Cool and the Gang, Commodores, George Benson. That was the music he grew up with that was played on the radio. That and township music. Township music, it's a mixture of everything, you know, like Western music, and then using their African voices. It was all like the traditional voices, like different tribes, because like, you know, where I grew up, there's, there's a lot of tribes. Shangan, Zulu, Beditswan, and Debel, everybody's bringing, you know, different sounds, music, you pick it up, some drums here and there, you know, and, and put it together. Nothing was uh, easy. You know, you just gotta 
find ways. You know, I remember one time as a band, the whole band, five piece, we had no money. We just got a gig. So we don't have instruments and so we have to go to the rehearsal room where they have the instrument. But nobody has a car. How are we going to get there? So the percussion player who played on the Graceland, he says, guys, let's get a couple of oranges and then start running. From Soweto to Johannesburg, the whole band running, three hours running. In 1980, the United Nations had imposed a boycott on all cultural, athletic, and academic exchanges with South Africa, meaning that if you were a musician, you weren't supposed to perform in South Africa. If you were a professor, you weren't supposed to go to a conference there. If you were a rugby team, you weren't supposed to play a game with a South African rugby team. South Africa was cut off from the rest of the world, Around that time, there was a protest song by Peter Gabriel called Biko about the martyred South African activist Steve Biko. Biko was recorded in England using Western musicians under the direction of, and you can't make this up, the producer Steve Lillywhite. South Africa was, for the rest of the musical world, a distant abstraction. Until, in February of 1986, Paul Simon flew to South Africa because he'd heard a mixtape of South African music and really loved it. Had you been to South Africa before? No. Had you been to Africa before? I'd been to Egypt. Yeah. Not sub-Saharan Africa, no. What were your impressions? You land in Johannesburg... I was definitely aware of where I was going and what was going on. This is Radio Freedom, the voice of the African National Congress, to spearhead the people's struggle for the seizure of power from the oppressors. And you could feel the racial tension in a way that I'd never felt before. The central truth is that this is apartheid. And this isn't changing. He asked a South African producer, Hilton Rosenthal, to help him find some of the musicians he had heard on that mixtape he'd been listening to back in New York. The Boyoyo Boys, an accordion player named for Arie Motlohelwa, the guitarist Ray Piri, the drummer Isaac Michali. Later he would add Joseph Shabalala, the leader of the ensemble Lady Smith Black Mombazo, among others and Begidi Kumalo. It was not easy. I took chances to do this. Taking the job was a risk for everyone. As he brought the group together, Hilton Rosenthal called Kaloy Labona, a well-established South African musician and producer. This guy was like Quincy Jones of South Africa. He knew every musician. Good musicians has to go by him. He set us down and says, guys, politicians, they're not going to like this, but you know, you need to take chances. This is your life. Take it. The studio was filled with people. Some of the musicians had brought their wives and children. When Begidi arrived, he says Paul was on the floor playing with the kids. His first thought was, is this a daycare center? So when you first had the sessions with Paul, what, what did you think of him when you finally met him? What, what was it like? I was terrified because... I had no idea what he was looking for. 
it was it was scary, but at the same time challenging, very challenging because I have to be clear. The communication has to be clear, and uh, I have to understand and not overplay things because I don't know really what he was looking for until he, he likes the part, and then he says, "Stop! I like that." In South Africa, the black musicians had a real fear. It would be like about five o'clock on a session, and the, the guys would start to pack up. I'd say, oh, "Don't leave now. We still. Well, I want to do an overdub." He said, "No, we have to leave. I got to get my car out of the garage and get out of here. I'm not allowed to be here after dark." And they would get get in their cars and drive back to Soweto. I just finished the session working with Paul, and then I got paid, and I. Uh... Then I go to uh, a bank to cast the check, and uh, the bank closed the door and then, you know, start calling the police. And uh, it, it started to be trouble, and the cops, they come in, so they asked me, where you got this money? And I said, I got paid because I played with uh, Paul Simon. They say, you mean Big Paul Simon? The people who know Paul Simon. The, the police were white then? Yes, and then also to the, the people working in the bank. Because he was in the city, he was not in the township, not not back in the township. So then they said, "Can you give us the number? I had the studio number where I was recording." So I gave them the studio number, and then they called the studio, and the engineer told them, "Yes, he's recording with Paul Simon, and uh, he's good. He's good. He's our musician." And then uh, they didn't have selfie back then, <laughs> except shaking my hand. Oh, congratulations! The recording of Graceland was a departure for Simon because he didn't come to the studio with lyrics already written or melodies. This time, all he had was a feeling, which made it hard. Plus, he was working with a language barrier, with musicians he didn't know. And then I say, uh, can you show me what kind of music you play? And so they start to show me stuff. And I say, oh, that's good. Well, look, what if we do this? And then we start to play together. And it's good. My thing was to say, start with the drum. What is the drummer doing? What is the guitar player doing? All right, now I got my space and I got some things I can borrow from Ray. I mean, that's it. Hey, that's it. You know, I don't even have to think too much. I just take a nice line and then do my thing. I use the fretless as a voice, not as a just the bass, but singing, but at the same time keep the you know the groove going. And engineer Roy Haley, who was the engineer for Paul, that sound, once he heard the sound, he was like, look, that's what we need. This is new to us. Paul turns to guitarist Ray Perry. I say, well just play along with the rhythm. And he plays his, his, something like this. Which sounds kind of like rockabilly, but a little bit different. But I said, that, that, I like that. What is that? He said, well, that's just me imitating American country music. 
the way I hear it. I say, oh, that's great, because it's good. Then I say, well, let's, now I realize he can do anything. So let's overdub. So wait, before you go any further, this is fascinating. Hold on. So he's doing the thing, and you say, "What is that?" He says, "It's me imitating American right. country music." Um, can you break it down? What is he exactly? He's he's not precisely imitating American country. No, that's he's playing what he hears as an American rhythm over a drum beat that sounds like American rhythm to me, but is not. But I'm putting this guitar on it, and then I'm putting the C sharp minor in there, and then he gets up to. Uh, and that's South African in its groove. And they fit together. And I think this is exactly what I thought could happen. went to Africa to hear, among other things, Africans imitating American country music. That's the beauty of it. Well, I didn't go there Thinking. with that thought, yeah. no. You went there and found. But I went there with the idea that the two musical cultures could intermingle in a mm. way that would be interesting. When I was composing the lyrics, I kept singing, Grace, I'm going to Graceland, Graceland, and then I, but whenever I'd sing it, I'd say, of course I'm going to change that. This can't be a song about Elvis Presley. And I mean, it's a South African band, you know? And finally, I just didn't stop singing that, I'm going to Graceland, Graceland, and finally I said, I guess I better go to Graceland mm-hmm. and find out what's going on here because I'd never been to Graceland. You know, maybe I have to go there and find out why I can't drop this lyric. So I drove up the highway that goes up to Memphis through the Mississippi Delta. And that's where the first line came in. The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the Civil War. So I I wrote this story about the journey that's in search of grace. And then I remember when we were about to uh, finish recording in Johannesburg, you told me that, uh, yeah, so we're going to have to bring you to New York to finish the rest of the tracks. That's when I knew that he's serious. Simon completed the album in New York with Roy Halley, recorded vocals, flew a few musicians over from South Africa for overdubs. She's a rich girl, she don't try to hide it. Diamonds on the soles of her shoes. Diamonds was the last song we played. I don't think Diamonds was supposed to be on the record. We were supposed to go to South Africa, and then Paul 
ask us to stay another week to play for Warner Brothers and uh, and I put those lines on the bo- uh, on the diamonds and uh, uh, let's see if we can. Uh, let me fix something there. Yeah. Oh, that's playing the power. So we're going diamonds, right? So on oh, the groove, I was playing. So the slapping too, it's it's also it, it comes from uh, American bass players because now I was trying to do some Louis Johnson, Brothers Johnson thing, so I had to learn the slapping. So for me to take all these combination things and put it t- together, you know, and have the melody. And then have American side. It's am- it's amazing. Graceland was released in 1986. Anyone who was at all musically conscious back then remembers exactly when it came out. It was on the radio everywhere. It won the Grammy for best album. Everyone I knew had a favorite line from the record. It was an event. But what was it exactly? No one knew. This was before world music and cross-cultural collaborations had become commonplace, and Graceland had a sound that none of us had ever heard before. Paul Simon's distinctive, exacting lyrics over jubilant African rhythms. The South Africa we knew from the newspapers was a dark, forbidding place, an authoritarian regime founded on the ugliest of premises. The black people of South Africa were hidden, stashed away in the townships, a distant abstraction. But now, he was their music, in full voice. And Hugh said to me, I, I think this is going to be a big hit, and I think you should go on tour. Hugh was Hugh Masekela, trumpeter, composer, the father of South African jazz, collaborator and one-time spouse to the singer Miriam Makeba. Masekela had been living in exile for years. He and Simon got in touch. I wasn't thinking I was going to go on tour because I couldn't imagine how am I going to do that. He said, I, I, you know, I'll bring other players from my band and we'll combine it. And we'll get Miriam to join it. And, you know, I can do my numbers and Miriam can do some of her numbers. And, you know, you'll make this thing about, really about South Africa, because otherwise they're going to kill you. They're just going to really beat you up. Masakela was right. There was controversy from the very beginning. Not the same as today. 
Today we have gossip about rock stars and Twitter controversies, but musicians are off in their own cultural corner with their own group of fans. When was the last time a rock and roll album made news? Graceland was news, like a hurricane is news. Paul Simon has run into political problems in South Africa. The African National Congress protested Simon's recording in South Africa, a violation, they said, of the UN's cultural boycott. And as the tour traveled around the world, the storm followed them. When the Graceland Band played in London, the English musicians Paul Weller and Billy Bragg wrote a letter denouncing him. And the controversy simmered for years. Even after the cultural boycott was lifted in December 1991, and Simon returned to South Africa the next month to play a series of concerts. The American singer Paul Simon begins his concert tour of South Africa tomorrow, despite the threat of violence from some black opposition groups. They say international musicians should continue to boycott the country until majority rule is established. Critics protest that the American singer has arrived in South Africa at the wrong time. They say that until all remnants of apartheid are demolished, South Africa should remain isolated. The focus wasn't just on Simon. It was on his band. Were any of them concerned that there would be repercussions at home for them playing? Absolutely. It was scary for all of us to go back to South Africa because, you know, everybody knew I played on the grace and now I'm back home, so I look different. I have a car and I have this. They can come at night and pick me up and uh, never see them again. A hand grenade was thrown at a building housing sound equipment to be used during the concerts. I realized, oh yeah, I've wandered into a firefight and I'm right in the middle. More violence was threatened unless Simon called off the tour. In our conversations, Simon still seemed mystified by the whole controversy. Who was it who invited him back to perform in South Africa, after all? Nelson Mandela. And why would Mandela do that? Because Graceland was a celebration. It was music not about politics and division, but about joy. My approach with Graceland was to say, there's a whole world of people living lives that are not oppressed. A large part of their world is oppressed, but not every second of every day. There are still births and deaths, and there are still people falling in love. How did you feel about that criticism? I felt terrible about it. You know, I felt defensive and terrible about it. It wasn't like I said, I have an idea that'll get me back on the top of the charts. I'll go to South Africa and record with various South African musicians. I, I didn't think that at all. You know, I was just following my ear, you know, and I didn't, I didn't anticipate that there would be this much of a political fuss about it, not at all. I was just following my ear, meaning I was being a musician. The Gift of Queen says the whole world is yours to explore, that you weren't confined by a narrow cultural identity. Simon's exacting memory 
for sounds and themes meant that he could see patterns or others see only difference. His experimental disposition meant that he plunged forward, sometimes almost recklessly, in pursuit of whatever new thing caught his interest. And his ear, his exacting memory and discerning taste meant that when he listened to South African music, he heard echoes of sun records and doo-wop and country guitars and realized this is music that speaks to him. Which leads him to jump on a plane to Johannesburg, because of course that's what you would do if your curiosity was calling you. And of course some people saw that as cultural appropriation, but only because those people were looking at the world through a different lens. They didn't listen to South African music and think of Graceland. What Simon was doing in South Africa was no different in his mind from any number of trips he had taken in the past, like driving to Muscle Shoals, Alabama with a gospel singer to record a reggae tune with a New Orleans brass band. I learned early on that you can't ask musicians to write in somebody else's handwriting. I learned that lesson a long, long time ago when I had tried to do a ska song And I couldn't get it the way I wanted. And I realized then that if I really wanted to get that groove and get it right, I had to go to Jamaica, Mm -hmm. which is why I went to Jamaica to record Mother and Child Reunion instead of doing it with L.A. or New York studio musicians imitating the music. So I knew that I had to go to South Africa to get it right. It was hard maybe because he didn't speak the language and then tried to find out to you where he's going to settle in. But once he got it, he made us look good. He made us our music to be respected. Land walks down the street. It's a street in a strange world. Maybe it's the third world. Maybe it's just first time around. Doesn't speak language. Holds no currency. He is a foreign man. He is surrounded And Graceland has persisted as one of the greatest albums of its era because that's what became clear as the controversy faded, that the purpose of art is to bring joy to darkness and find truth through imagination. In 1986, Paul Simon performed on Saturday Night Live with Lady Smith Black Mombazo and a handful of the musicians who had played on the album. So there we were on Saturday Night Live singing these songs that nobody had ever heard, and there was no record. What did you play? We played... uh, Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes, and uh, I think you can call me Al. So that, 
At that moment, you knew you had something special. Oh, yeah. Well, that's one way to lose these walking blues. Diamonds on the soles of a shoe. How many guys did you bring over? I brought over all of Ladysmith Black Mombazo, and I brought over Isaac Michali on drums, Bagiti Kumalo on bass, and Ray Peary on guitar. And they came out in the airport. I had two, two or three limos to meet them with white drivers. <laughs> did you stipulate that, that it had to be white drivers? Yeah. You did? <laughs> yeah. Yo, when we came to JFK, it was crazy. So we come in and then there's a, 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 a guy, a road manager, he says, guys, I got the car for you. So we kind of exhausted the time changes. Everything was confusing, man. So, you know, they call us to get in the limo, but it's like, well, why? You know, because we're expecting the bus or, or, you know, like a taxi. But this long car, oh, we got so excited. And then the, the guy, the white guy comes in and <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this America is crazy, man. I mean, these guys left apartheid South Africa and driven into Manhattan, which they'd never seen before. But also the, the things that they said were so incredible. Like one of the guys in Mombazo said, where do we go to get a permit to, uh, to go into Central Park? And I said, no, you don't need a permit, man. You can just walk anywhere you it's want. It's heartbreaking. And I mean, the whole, the whole experience of, of them, you know, coming into my culture was... Just as shocking as me going into their culture. One way to lose these walking blues. Diamonds on the soles of a shoe. When you understand about people's music, you understand something about who they are. Paul is a musician, first of all. He can go anywhere and record music with any culture because he loves the music. He came to South Africa because he loved the music. Paul just gave a platform pretty much for us to tell the story using the music so that people can listen to say, this music is beautiful. Thanks for listening to this excerpt from my new audiobook, Miracle and Wonder, Conversations with Paul Simon. You can buy it now at miracleaudiobook.com. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Hi, Last Archive listeners. I want to tell you about another podcast to add to your queue, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan's podcast is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker so you can come to your own conclusions about what's happening in the world. He dives into the minds of fascinating people, from authors and activists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with Yuval Noah Harari the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his recent deep dive into modern flat-earth theory, 
and why some still believe the Earth is flat, despite thousands of years of evidence to the contrary. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show, whether it's asking for advice the right way or discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts.